There has been uh, a quote that's been uh, going around on social media, and uh, I've seen it a couple times uh, over the past couple days, and it's a quote from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's a quote between uh, one of the main characters, uh, a young hobbit named Frodo, and Gandalf, who is an older character in uh, the film. And they have a conversation about the difficult days that they are living in. And they say this, Frodo says this. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Now, I don't have to tell you, but we are certainly living through an interesting time today. It's a time that we would never have willingly chosen uh, to live through. And we can fret about the why of it all and, and why all this is happening, or we can choose to live in the now. But that doesn't mean that we don't ask a lot of questions when it comes to the times in which we in and we are in. And one of the biggest questions that we keep hearing is when will all of this end? When will we go back to what we call normal? When will it all be finished? And I think that's perhaps uh, the number one question that is on everyone's mind at this moment. Our president has said that he hopes this quarantine uh, time, this social distancing time is gonna end by Easter. Uh, other medical professionals are coming out and saying that uh, the virus is the one that gets to decide when all of this is finished. And so there's really no easy answer to any of these questions. And so all of us continue to wonder, when will it all end? When will it all be finished? When you think about it, that's a, actually a bigger question, a, a question that's bigger than just our times today. And that big question is, when will it all be finished? If you really think about it, that is one of the big, ultimate, fundamental questions of life. And it's a question I think that the scriptures have a lot to say about. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that God had uh, finished his creation. Uh, that creation was perfect, and God declared it to be perfect. He said, it is good. But by Genesis chapter 3, something had gone terribly wrong with God's creation. His perfect creation had chose to rebel against him. And so no longer was this creation, no longer was this world perfect, Instead, the world was now imperfect. It was fractured and it was broken. And so God had to step in and God did step in as he does. He started a rescue plan, a reclamation process. And for thousands of years, that plan continued to move on. It continued to develop. It continued to grow. It was progressing towards something. And then when Jesus Christ is born, Everyone knew that the climax of this story was about to be reached. And the angels declaring in the heavens announced that very thing, that the climax of God's redemption story was about to come. And then just years later, we see Jesus hanging on a cross. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, 
he says these words. He says, it is finished. God's rescue plan was now finished and this cry of victory didn't come after a great military battle or after the, the dethroning of a rival king. Jesus came as, as one who would be crucified as a common criminal. And in this moment of cosmic weakness, the plan of God was finished. The victory was declared. We read about this in John chapter 19, and I'm going to be reading uh, from verses 28 to 30. This is God's word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we get to meditate on it wherever you have us at this moment. We pray that you would speak to, to us through your word, that you would shape our hearts, shape every part of our being through the power of your word and your story of redemption here this morning. So be with us now as we reflect on this word. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. When you think about life, there's uh, a lot of things in life that feel very cut and dry. Uh, maybe you've decided to read a couple books during this uh, time period and you have a start when you read that book and you have a finish. Or maybe more appropriate, you've decided to, to watch a, a new television program and so you've been binge watching some sort of program and you know that program has a start and it has a finish. But often in life, the finish line isn't quite so clear. Uh, I have several friends who uh, have been approaching retirement for several years, and uh, they've been trying to get themselves ready to retire. And, and just when they think it's time for them to retire, the markets might dip a little bit, and they have to keep working for a few more years. Just when they thought they'd reached the, the finish line, at least for their professional life, that finish line moved farther in the distance. It became more elusive, and so they wonder uh, when their life's work will be completed. I have other friends whose kids have grown up and the kids have moved away and the parents think they've reached a, a finish line of sort or at least a different time in their lives only to have their kids move back into the house and things change. Life is a lot like this. We're constantly wrestling with what our uh, expectation for our lives are and where they should be at certain points and the reality of how things truly are. Of course, when it comes to finish lines, uh, we all know that we, there is one finish line that is looming for all of us. At some point, our lives will end, and we don't know the time, we don't know the circumstances of that, but we do know that our lives are finite. They will have a physical, at least, finish. Well, in verse 28 of our passage, uh, it says that Jesus knew that all was now finished. And then in verse 30, he cries out on the cross, it is finished. And so what was Jesus talking about? Was he, was he talking about his mission? 
Was he talking about his life work? Was he talking about his very life itself that was about to end on the cross? Or was he talking about both of those things united together in God's plan? You see, I think that when Jesus declared, it is finished, he wasn't just talking about his physical life, but he was declaring that his mission in life was finished just as his physical life was finished. There's two things I want us to see here this morning. The first is this. Jesus finished the work of God to perfection. Jesus finished the work of God to perfection. Think back to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which I think is one of the most powerful stories in the entire Passion narrative. Jesus is in the garden and he's praying before God the Father. And he asks God the Father, is there any other way? Is there any other path that I can walk? And the answer from God the Father was no. Jesus was willing to walk that path and the answer from God the Father was no. So Jesus would need to walk this path to perfection in order for you and for I to be rescued. And so when Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, this wasn't just some sort of passive resignation. This wasn't Jesus just finally giving up. Instead, it was a shout of victory. Sin and death had been defeated by Christ. The plan of God was now worked out to perfection. When you think about that word perfection, uh, that's a difficult concept sometimes for us to really consider because we so often deal in imperfection. Very few things in our lives have that quality of perfection. I can remember when I was uh, finishing up my master's degree uh, when I was in seminary, and you had to do this project at the end of your master's degree called a thesis, which was really just a long paper or a mini book. And you had about a year-long process in order to write this thing. And I can remember my thesis advisor said at the very beginning of uh, this thesis process, he said, you have to remember this. There, are, there is no perfect thesis. There is only a completed thesis. And as I worked on that thesis throughout the year, uh, those words became uh, very true. At some point, I just had to submit it and be done with it. And even now, I can't even go back and read that thesis because there's so much that I see that is imperfect in it. There's so much that I would have done differently. It feels so flawed. And there's so many things in life that are just like that, where we feel like we live within imperfection constantly. But imagine Jesus for a second, sent by God to secure our redemption. But at the cross, the mission of God wasn't just finished, but it was finished to perfection, to perfection. And in that moment of perfection, several things were accomplished. First, in that moment of perfection, the wrath of God was perfectly satisfied. Not just satisfied, but perfectly satisfied. 
See, the gospel tells us that humanity owed God a debt that it could not pay on its own. So in order for the justice of God to be satisfied, our sin, your sin, my sin, our sin would need to be punished. You see, God just couldn't sweep our sin under the rug as if it never happened. He couldn't just say, ah, don't worry about it, don't sweat it. That debt needed to be paid. And what the gospel tells us is that Jesus paid it all. Our sin, our debt, our punishment was placed on him. He bore that punishment. He drank the full cup of the wrath of God so that you and I wouldn't have to, so that you and I could instead drink the cup of God's abundant blessing. Jesus perfectly satisfied the wrath of God. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it means for us that you, don't, you and I, we don't have to work any sort of penance. We don't have to somehow work off that debt because the truth is we never really could, even if we tried. And so what that means is that Jesus finished the work of God to perfection. He perfectly satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. But that wasn't all that was offered or accomplished in this moment of perfection. Because what we also see at the cross is not just that the wrath of God was satisfied, but we also see that a righteousness, not our own, was made available to us. A righteousness of God, this gift from God, was made available to us. You see, Jesus, of course, took the debt, but he also offers us his perfection, his goodness, his righteousness. And if we accept that gift by faith, then it becomes credited, as it were, to our spiritual bank account. We become clothed in the goodness and the righteousness of God. That's the image that the scripture uses. And so what all this means is, we, is it means that we have been given everything we need to be made right with God. The debt has been satisfied We've been given the righteousness of God as a gift. This is nothing that we earned. Instead, Jesus gives it all to us. And so what are we called to do? If we can at least understand that this is what happened on the cross, then what are we called to do? How are we called to respond to this? And I think the scriptures tell us to do this. We are called to rest. We're called to rest in this. You see, friends, your, your past sins, they're all covered. They no longer need to define your now. They no longer need to, to define who you are. You didn't earn your way back into this or somehow uh, figure it all out on your own. Instead, God gives this to you. The debt has been canceled. But Jesus has also given us his goodness in order for us to rest in. Uh, in my uh, more free time now, uh, I've had the opportunity to catch up on some books that have sat on the shelf for a little while. And one of those books is a book by uh, James K.A. Smith called On the Road with Augustine. And uh, there's a chapter in there that I read this week that talks all about ambition and human ambition in particular. 
And one of the things the chapter talks about is that ambition isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Um, uh, the goodness or the, the badness of it uh, is often driven by our motives and the things that are capturing our hearts. But ambition drives so much of what we do. Uh, it's the motives that are behind so much of our behaviors. And uh, the author said this at one point. He said, there is a bundle of hopes and hungers bound up with our ambitions, but so often they boil down to the twin desires to win and to be noticed, domination and attention, to win the crown and to be seen doing it. One of the things that, that the author highlights is this, that all of that, when you pull back the layers, really is a spiritual craving. It's a spiritual hunger. At the end of the day, it's, it's a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Because we look as we look at Jesus Christ, we see that he's already won the victory. That you have won by virtue of being in Christ. We also see that, that you are noticed, that the King of Kings has noticed you, he has loved you, and he has given you his righteousness and his goodness. So the question becomes this. So what are you working so hard for? Why are you striving so hard? That really is the meaning behind Isaiah 55 that we read last week. If you were with us, Isaiah says, come by wine and milk without any money and without any price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread or labor for that which does not satisfy? You see, no matter how much you win at this life, no matter how much you may be able to climb uh, the corporate ladder or the professional ladder, no matter how many A's you earn or no matter how many trophies you might win, no matter how many social media likes you may get, it will never be enough. It will never satisfy. And so Jesus says, come to me and rest. Cease you're striving because Christ has already done it all for you in your place. It is finished. Jesus finished the work of God to perfection. He did it for the sake of his father in heaven and he did it because of his deep love for you. He simply calls you to rest, to rest in that truth. You see, all this was done for you by Jesus in history. And so all of this has happened in the past. What Jesus does is he applies it to the present in our lives by faith. But there is also a future component to this work of God as well. And that's the second thing I want us to see here this morning. Jesus not only has finished the work of God to perfection, but Jesus will also bring the work of God to completion. You see, when you think about this finish line concept in whatever capacity you want to think about it, 
that finish line always feels like it's something that is out there, that it is somewhere in the future. And we are sort of striving and working towards that finish line. And, and often we need to fix our eyes upon that finish line until it's done, until it is completed. Well, one of the things the scriptures tell us very truly is this, that Jesus is coming again. He came at once in time and space and history, but Jesus is also coming again. And whereas he finished the work of God to perfection in his first coming, the scriptures tell us he will bring the work of God to completion as well. You see, even though you and I have been given the fortune, we've been given the bank, we've been given the full inheritance and blessings of God, we still live in a world that feels very bankrupt. We live in a world that is characterized by fractured relationships where things like divorce and uh, estrangement just seem to be like everyday things. We live in a world where at times parents outlive their children, um, where uh, addiction is common. We live in a city that is remarkably fractured by violence and corruption. And now, to make matters even more tricky, we live in a world of things like social distancing and quarantines and pandemics. And when we think about it all, when we think about the cumulative effect of this broken world in which we live in, we long for a finish line. We long for a finish line to the broken and painful structures of our world, we long for things to be made right. Well, friends, the gospel tells us that Jesus is the answer to those longings. He will bring the work of God to completion. And so what are we to do? Well, in the meantime, we're certainly to rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, but we're also called to hope. We are called to hope. Think of Hebrews 12, where it says this, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, you aren't just called to rest from your striving, but you're also called to place your hope in the coming of Christ. Yes, to to rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, to cease that striving, to stop working so hard because we've been given it all at the cross. And so God calls us to rest in what Jesus has done for us. But we're also called to place our hope in his return because friends, he is coming again. And when he comes, he will bring the work of God to completion. And what that means is that sin, death, anxiety, worry, pain, all the characteristics of this broken world, all those things, as difficult as they are, they will not be the last word. Jesus brings the last word. And so until you reach that finish line, until I reach that finish line, we are called to place our hope in him. Let's pray.